Episode 99, Fractured Skulls, Terminator Travis, Monoxide. We're back again with the trilogy. First time ever we reviewed three films into one episode. A film that you recommended because you've always liked this movie. I figure, you know, I might as well do the other two. Why not? Yeah. I mean, we got one good movie and one, uh, two uh, movies. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. We have a we have a lot to discuss in this episode. We have some big news stories throughout the week, um, and I guess I'll start it off with the deaths of this week. Unfortunately, the deaths continue to pile on. I'm not a big sports guy. I'm not a big. I'm not a basketball fan at all. But for any NBA fans that are, Bill Russell passed away this week. Uh, he's a, he's an 11 time NBA champion. He played for the Boston Celtics. He passed away at the age of 88. That's really all I know about the guy. Yeah, he's considered one of the top ten of all time. Most people's top ten vary. Mm-hmm. My top my top five always consists of him, MJ, Michael Jordan, um, Larry Bird, Will Chamberlain, and Tim Duncan, or maybe uh, Akeem Olajuwon. But I, you can't ignore 11 titles, especially during the heyday when basketball was even harder to obtain championships because it was a much rougher sport than it is now so now it's like probably much easier to obtain the title because the rules are a little bit more strict on how uh rough it is so i mean 88 is a good age to go out not like pete maravich who died at the age of 40 and literally his last words reportedly right before he keeled over due to a heart ailment that was misdiagnosed he literally said the words i feel great and then just keeled over and died oh wow Unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable. So, so rest in peace to Mr. Bill Russell, the mm-hmm. man, the legend. And our second death this week is uh, for any Star Trek fans, Nichelle Nichols, Uhura. From she's part of the original seven of the Star Trek crew. Um, out of the seven, she's now the fourth one that has passed away. At the age, do I have an age here? Eighty-nine. Um, she's the first black actress to ever to ever be featured full time as a series regular on a TV show. Okay, unfortunately, and, yeah, and she's the first black actress to have a kiss scene with a white man, that being William Shatner, which caused a lot of controversy at the time. This was the '60s, so you can because the culture then is a lot different now. You know, unfortunately, the racism is still here, but back then it was like what. Like, it was just unheard of. And people seeing that on screen, it was like, what the F is going on here? Yeah, there was a couple, I think, uh, around that same time, black woman, white man, who were together. This was before the Civil Rights Movement. That caused a lot of controversy. Uh, and they ended up staying together throughout thick and thin. Yeah, they, in some parts of the country. I mean, crazy back then. That was illegal. Yeah. In the South. It's still... A thought process of that era because a personal story of mine uh, many years ago I was in a relationship with a for let, let, let's get the cat out of the bag I'm a full-blown Caucasian male and I at one point I was dating a full-blown Peruvian female and my one of my former bosses told me not to have children with this person because they were telling me that if you have a child with mixed race, they're going to get picked on because of their mixed race. 
I'm like sitting there thinking, maybe in your day, that is definitely a thought. And I think this is year 2013. Nobody's going to be fucking thinking about that. It's a different time, but he came from a different era. I think he came from that era where, yeah, look at look at Lucille Bell, how much controversy she had to go through because she basically said, I'm not doing the show unless Desi Arnaz plays my husband, who was her husband at that point. And he was a Cuban man. They're like, nah, nah, can't have that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Now it's like, what the fuck? What the fuck were you thinking back then? I know, it's it's such a crazy mindset people had during that time period. In some cases, even still today, it's still staring in some parts of the country or even the world. Um, but yeah, Yuhara, uh, Nichelle Nichols has been, as I mentioned, part of the original Star Trek crew. She did all the movies until The Undiscovered Country, which was part six. That was the last one. All the original crew were together. And at the end, during the credits, they all signed off, like basically signing off. Uh, Avengers Endgame, they did the same exact thing that they got, and they got it from Star Trek. Um, since then, she's popped up in some movies, mostly she's done a lot of television shows, but uh, I'm pretty sure she's done a shit ton of Comic-Cons over the years. And it's sad because, you know, it's like one of the OGs. She yeah. helped with barriers for television, for a lot of black women in television, and you know, and now, unfortunately, she's gone. 89 years old, Nichelle Nichols, rest in peace. Live long and prosper, as Spock would always say. Yes, sir. And our last uh, death of this week uh, is actor Clue Gallagher. I hope I'm I'm not putting his last name. He was 93 years old when he passed away. He passed away uh, just recently, just a couple days ago. Yeah, August 5th. He was born on November 16th, 1928. Passed away on August 5th as of this year, 2022. Uh, for any fans of Nightmare on Elm Street, he was the father of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. The one that Freddy was possessing the boy. He was the father of the kid. Uh, he was in The Return of the Living Dead. Classic film, a cult classic. A film that I, hope, I would like to review on here sometime. I think you'll have a lot of fun with that movie. He was in that. Uh, he's done uh, with the Western series of Virginian. And the last film I've seen him in was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He had a very small role. He, he was the uh, the bookstore owner. He just shared a scene with Margot Robbie. He's a he's a big cult legend. He's done a lot of these films. Been around forever. I know his children became uh, got involved in the business as well. I think his son became a director. He directed the film Feast, which Clue was also in there. Another film I, I think we could review sometime in the future. But yeah, just a, just a cult legend. And in fact, I think that was pretty cool that Quentin casted him in this film. Because, I mean, I, I think that's pretty cool. Like Quentin, Quentin loves working with B like like the B at level actors. I mean, of course, Robert Foster, he got an Academy Award nomination for uh, Jackie Brown. I mean, again, that's Quentin's error. He loves working with those guys. I, I think that was pretty cool that he kind of gave him like a cameo in one of his big films, Once Upon a Time. Working, sharing a, a scene with an A-list actress. Fucking Marco Robbie's everywhere. You can't, you, you can't get away from her. Every new, every movie, Marco Robbie, Marco Robbie. I really don't have much to say other than at least he lived a long, prosperous life and had a good career. He did. Almost almost a century. And now we'll move on to our second news story. This is a big one. What a big week it has been for HBO Max. Mm-hmm. We mentioned that uh, Warner Brothers was bought by uh, Discovery. Uh, since then, just over this past week, Discovery has made a shit ton of changes. Canceling movies. 
uh, removing uh, HBO Max Originals off of the app. That's like Netflix removing Stranger Things. It's like, what the? What? <laughs> like, yeah. and and now we find out some people think that HBO Max is going to get closed. Technically, they are, but it's going to be happening next summer. Next summer, Discovery Plus and HBO Max are going to merge into one big app. Which kind of sucks because I've said it on this podcast, HBO Max is probably my favorite movie app. Because I just think there's so much content on there. And it's like almost it's like almost impossible to not find something to watch on there. So wait, this merger is going to erase some of their movies that they have? Like, what's the deal? I don't know what the hell they're going to be doing next year. Obviously, a lot of the big properties are going to be protected. They already mentioned Harry Potter is going to be safe. 90 Day Fiance, I'm guessing that's a franchise from the Discovery side of things. Whatever their reality shows they got are going to be protected. Looney Tunes. Um, but the one property I've been noticing they've been really beating the shit out of, and it's, it's been DC. They canceled Batgirl. Yeah. Which has caused a huge ruckus, because I didn't realize that many people were interested in seeing a Batgirl movie. Hmm. <laughs> no one ever talked about it until it got canceled. It's the most... Uh, but what's crazy about that is I don't think a film has ever been canceled when 90% of it has already been completed. It's one thing to cancel a film if you haven't started shooting yet. I mean, you know, it's not like a Superman Lives, that Tim Burton Superman movie that we were supposed to get at one point, but it never happened because the studio canceled it right before they were supposed to start shooting. That's one thing. But they they shot the film. They were supposed to do some reshoots, and they already started post-production on it. It was almost done. But then they canceled it. Michael Keaton was supposed to be in it. He was supposed to return playing Bruce Wayne again. It... What the fuck? I guess it depends on what they thought was going to be a financial success or disaster. Like, this reminds me of when uh, they were really hyping NBA Elite 11. Somebody, it's it's a weird thing because EA was hyping this game like No Tomorrow is supposed to replace the NBA Live series because they were going to go like full-blown different with it. And... Some people had gotten a copy of the game before the major release. And there was like a couple of glitches that somebody had posted up from the game. And EA, I think either on release date or the day after release date, pulled all copies from GameStop and canceled the whole game entirely. Some people have a copy of the game, and it's worth a lot of fucking money because it was a game that was released for a very small period and then was pulled off the shelves. It's, I guess it just depends on if they found it viable enough. Like, all right, another example. I know this one is a little bit more extreme, but the Vince McMahon documentary. They had that almost completed, and then the controversy came out of Vince McMahon. So it was like, is it worth putting this documentary out? They canceled the whole thing, even though they filmed everything and and were in post-production. I don't know what they were thinking with uh, Batgirl, but... Well, from what I read with Batgirl, and I have another example. um, This was a reality show. Uh, If You you remember the show's Flavor of Love, uh, Rock of Love, Megan Wants a Millionaire, those those, like VH1 reality shows from like the mid mid to late 2000s? I mean, vaguely. yeah, like Brett Michaels was looking for love as well. He like he was part of that. They had another show called Megan Wants a Millionaire. Megan was one of those was like a it was supposed to be a spinoff. She was like one of the contestants on Rock of Love, and for whatever reason they gave her her own show where she's looking for 
a guy that's rich. It's, it's ridiculous. But the show, like, they filmed the whole season of it, and they only aired two episodes. What happened was that the guy, one of the contestants, made it to, like, the finals. But what happened was that that guy was a murderer. He killed someone, and then he killed himself. And because of that, they canceled the whole show. <laughs> I did hear about that. I can't remember the guy's name. I have to Google it, but but that's just another example. But I don't think it's ever happened on an actual movie. We it happened on shows. It's happened in video games, but never a movie, especially you know a film that's almost done. So I think this is a first time ever. But I was gonna say what happened was they apparently did some test screenings, and from what I heard, they said they gave the film a better score than the Black Adam movie with the Rock that's supposed to come out. And Shazam 2. What the hell? And then I read another article that um, HBO Max Discovery or whatever is going to be saving about $20 million because of the cancellation of the film. And they're saying that they saw the film and they just weren't satisfied with it. They weren't satisfied to the point they're just going to say, fuck it, cancel it, I don't never want to see it again. They could do rewrites. They could always shoot extra scenes. They could take some shit out. You can still... Get something out of it. Who knows? Um, it's the same thing with... Uh, there was a show that I used to watch back in the day on MTV. Uh, music TV. Reality TV. Uh, they had a show called Fear, which was a reality TV show. But it was like one of the few good ones that I was invested in. It's about a bunch of young people who um, go and investigate a haunted area. And they will send somebody one by one to go and do some random task in that haunted area. And if they quit... They're eliminated, but if they stay throughout the whole night, they win some sort of prize. And I think the prize was like $5,000 or some crazy nonsense. It was a very interesting show because I'm into that type of stuff. Oh, paranormal and horror and all that. Apparently, it got great ratings and people loved it. And they canceled it after two seasons because the budget was too much. And and I'm sitting here wondering, like, wait a minute. What budget is there? It's a bunch <laughs> of fucking people with cameras going around filming random parts of a haunted area like what more did you need in fucking budget i mean i, I don't know but you but when did they make that money up with sponsors who the hell knows this was going back in the early 2000s this is during the real world phase back in 2000 and all that uh so who knows who knows what the reason is or the real reason that was the reason i read uh but you'll hear many different things Sa same thing with um P.T., a playable trailer, which was supposed to lead into a Silent Hill game. Playable trailer was literally a demo trailer where you play through it. And if you beat the trailer, because, yeah, you have to beat it in order to see, like, the, the big title screen. But it was revealed that you're playing as uh, Norman Reedus as the main character. And it shows the P.T. coming soon. And that came out, like, 2014? And, like, the following year, Konami, who, for whatever reason, had some sort of disgruntled relationship with uh, Kojima, the guy who created the game, or one of the people responsible for the game, just decided to cancel the whole project and took PT off of the PSN store so that nobody could play it. Oh. People can't open for strange reasons. I don't know. I'm pretty sure uh, a lot of it probably is probably a money issue or whatever. Well, but, uh, yeah, and they, what 
the thing with Konami was that they just had some sort of beef with Kojima, and it was around that time they started seeing, oh man, we can make more money off of free-to-play games and and microtransactions. And in fact, that same franchise, Silent Hill, they decided to, to turn into a pachinko machine. Messy shit. That was the year that Konami got a lot of backlash because there was other shit that came out about them. But that's neither here nor there. This is, I don't know, companies just cancel things for some of the randomest reasons. And I'm hearing that um, they also are going to cancel the Supergirl movie that they were going to do. Um, some A lot of people have different theories why they're doing this. Now, a lot of people saying this is for tax reasons. They're canceling these movies so they can get their money back and pay their taxes. Whatever the fuck. Um, a lot of people saying that this is a middle finger to the woke uh, community. Because a lot, for those that don't know, they did race swap the uh, Batgirl and Supergirl. I know uh, Batgirl, I think it was supposed to be played by a black actress. Uh, Leslie Grace, I think is her name. Um, and Supergirl is supposed to be played by a Latina actress. And of course, in the comics, those characters are white. So a lot of people feel like they're doing this. They did those cha- those race swap changes to uh, satisfy the woke community. And Discovery's making is saying, fuck you, we're canceling these movies because we're going to do what we want. Because we realize we're trying to cater to a community and we're not getting our money back. And, and in the end, it's all about the money. Well, I will say this. This is something that I did find very, very interesting. Is that usually the race swap is usually a white person being swapped out by a minority. I really would like to know. If let's say they remade the uh, the. the Matrix movies. If they decided to make Morpheus a white guy, what would re- the reaction be amongst the woke, woke mob? And I'm specifically picking a guy, a character where it's not about a certain culture. Like Morpheus could be theoretically played by any race whatsoever. I would like to see if there's a way swap where a black man is being replaced by a white man. They almost did it with Blade in the late 90s when they were first, uh, when they were developing it. They wanted a white actor to play Blade. Right, but that's the late 90s, different era, different time. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about right now, where almost everything is racist, everything is sexist, everything's homophobic, everything is under a microscope. It's like, come on. Now we're just like grasping for straws here. The major argument that people are having against, like, let's say, in the new Batman, Commissioner Gordon is played by a black man. Now, me personally, I don't give a shit because the guy who played the the Gordon was fine. I really couldn't care less. Catwoman was played by a black woman in the new Batman, Zoe Kravitz. But I've noticed that the people who get upset that these Another one, uh, the Little Mermaid, who was replaced by a black woman. We usually know Ariel at it's Ariel, right? Yeah. Uh, redheaded white girl who's a mermaid. I've just noticed that it's usually race swapping the white individuals. But I would like to see if this woke mob will have that same energy that go after them and be like, "Oh, who the fuck cares about this race stuff?" Is blah 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 blah. I want to see them have that same energy if they remade the Matrix movies and replaced Morpheus with a white man. I just really would see, want to see if that's the case. Because me personally, this is just me. And I'll play it to this tune. If I was making a Tekken movie, if I was making a Tekken movie, if I had the character Raven in my hands, I don't want a white man to play Raven. 
because Raven in the games is a black man. Raven, I would make sure to find a black man that could play that role stupendously to my liking. To where I think, yeah, that's the Raven that I remember from the game. Same with Eddie Gordo. I want somebody Brazilian to play that role. This obviously he's from Brazil. Now, again, we're going cultures here. But Raven, there's no real culture to him. He's just like a secret agent. So you can get a white guy to play him if you want. But me personally, if I'm directed, no. I want a black man to play that role. That's just how it is. Or another example, Mortal Kombat. They made a Mortal Kombat movie. And they wanted to get a character, Jax. I, again, am going to pick a black man. Because Jax is supposed to be a black man. So, but if somebody wanted to make Jax into a white guy, I want to see that same energy from that same people that said, oh, who cares about race? I think, personally, they're only saying it. It's because a white person's being replaced. All the way around, they'll have their shit connection. It's a one-way street with these people. So, uh, yeah, we got, we got to conquer the evil white guy. I don't know if that's that same energy that they are having. If it is to go back to the woke mob, it's because of the old saying, go woke, go broke. We've seen too many examples of pieces of media that go woke and then they lose money. When the NFL went woke during 2016, during the kneeling, they saw a heavy, drastic decline in ratings. To where they had to backpedal and say, okay, from now on, if you don't want to stand for the National Anthem, you have to stay in the locker or some shit like that. Um, I think the same thing was happening when uh, the NBA was having like Black Lives Matter all over their damn TV. They started seeing drastic decline in ratings. And then you got that Catwoman show that you were telling me about that was drastically panned. Or the Ghostbusters. The Batwoman, yeah. Oh, Batwoman. Excuse me. Was it Batwoman? I thought it was Catwoman. It was Batwoman. All right, Batwoman. Now, I'm not going to judge, but according to what you had said and what others have said, it's super woke. Yes. Yeah, canceled after three seasons. The ghost was... Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I would say, yeah, it's as I mentioned, what they're 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 going after DC desperately. I mean, would they cancel Catwoman? Where I mentioned they already canceled all those shows. The Flash TV series is getting one last season, only getting thirteen episodes. Usually, they get twenty three to twenty four. But the Flash, I mean, anyone that watches it, the CW D or DCW shows or the Arrowverse, whatever the hell you want to call it. Everyone knows those TV shows, for the most part, suck. And the, the fact that these shows are getting canceled has been long overdue. So you're not going to see many complaints with that. And The Flash is like the last of that era, it seems like. And it's finally going away. Now, go ahead. What were you saying? Oh, no. I was just bringing up more examples of just shows that go woke. And then eventually they see a drastic decline in, in, in revenue. And all the, the Ghostbusters remake with all the female cast. That apparently, I mean, it... it they were able to make up for the budget in box office, but apparently for them to make a profit, they had to make $500 million more due to marketing. Yeah, they had to do double, at least double the budget to, to, yeah. to get something back. And they didn't even come close. Nope. So, and, well, I think also part of it, it wasn't the female cast, because I don't remember from the trailer, because I didn't see the movie, I'll be fair on that. From the trailer, I didn't really see anything woke, per se. It was just a very bad trailer. It, it wasn't necessarily a woke movie because they weren't in the movie. They weren't saying white man bad. It was just it was just an example of uh, gender swapping. 
Well, if yeah. the you know woman could be just as successful as the men, it's like no, maybe in your little fantasy world, it doesn't work like that in the real world. Or else the WNBA would be the biggest, would be just as big as the NBA. There's a reason oh. that w, the athletes in the WWE don't make as much as the men do because they don't sell. Yeah, that's another thing. They always like cry that the women basketball players don't make as much as men. Well, they don't draw as much. And part of the problem is you lot. You're not the one going out there buying tickets to these exactly. WNBA games. The men can't do that for you. You got to do that. <laughs> You're the one crying that the women need to have their own basketball league. Well, now here they do. Here they are. They have their own basketball league, and you're not going to any of their shows. I know you have a twenty thousand seat arena and only fifteen hundred people showing up. That's not a good night. Is that true? Promoter lost money. Wait, hold up. Twenty thousand seated arena, and they can only sell fifteen hundred tickets. I'm just using as an example. Oh, okay. I was gonna say that's that's sad and depressing. I mean, that's not a good night for the promoter. That's a terrible night. He's probably screaming in yeah. the and throwing shit. Yes. Okay. If it was one night, that's one thing. But if that's a consistent basis, yeah, that's pretty bad. Okay, that arena should be filled. I, I'm copying Bill. Anybody should watch uh, Bill Burr live at Red Rocks, the new Netflix special. He covered all this. It's freaking hilarious. I recommend it. I love Bill Burr. But he yeah, basically Bill covered this. And mentioned, and he said, but meanwhile, the Kardashians, they're making billions of dollars in all these desperate housewives shows because those are the shows that all you females support. You support makeup, you support drama, you support needless fighting. You but you support don't... all these reality shows, but you won't support the female athletes. That's why this whole female should be equal sports is all bullshit. Because it's yeah. not real. It's a myth. You don't even believe in it. You're just saying that just for what? For no reason other than that your, your ego is hurt by the idea that biology does exist. <laughs> like, dude, come on. Like... I wouldn't go out and watch a WNBA game because there's really no female athlete out there that I'm really like. I, I couldn't name you a team. I the only female athlete that I can even think of off the top of my head was uh, Mia Yim, and that's in soccer. The only sports female athlete that I know of are is Serena Venus Williams. Mm. Okay, yeah, Serena and Venus Williams, yeah, they're top-notch. And uh, Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey. I mean, you you have your very few exceptions, but with the women's UFC, they share it with the men. It's not like... Oh. Another they, one. Go ahead. She's more, known, she's more known for her acting, but she was an MMA fighter. Uh, Gina Carano. Gina Carano, yeah. Here's a woman that was breaking, that was opening the door for any female MMA athlete to possibly get in the movies... Because they're big and they're intimidating. What did they do to Gina? Canceled her. Canceled her because she didn't 100% align politically with what they were uh, going for. And it's like, and they oh, well, they girl. Yeah, so... What is sometimes to have that female empowerment, you're going to have to align with females that don't align 100% with what you believe in. And that's that's life. Life is you're not going to always agree 100% with the person next to you. Exactly. But for whatever reason, 
If they don't agree with exactly 100% of what I believe in, they're evil, they're vile, they're racist. You know, they are. I want them fired. I, I want them released. I never want to see them again. If they continue to have them, I will not support them. I'll complain about it on Twitter. Fuck you. Like, Jesus Christ. That, that's your right. That is your, your right. But don't get all hypocritical when the other side... Who were getting offended by Colin Kaepernick's freaking kneeling. They decided to go ahead and say, I'm not going to go to any football games and burn their Colin Kaepernick jerseys or whatever. Because you were the same lot that were laughing at that crowd for burning his jerseys, for not wanting to go to football games anymore. Because guess what? They actually stopped going to football games and stopped watching the games to a point where the NFL had to react. And keep in mind, some of those people, yeah, I will agree fucking overreaction burning a, a $130 jersey I probably wouldn't do that I wouldn't burn a jersey I mean granted I'm not going to own a Colin Kaepernick jersey even prior to the events in 2016 because I was never a San Francisco 49ers fan I'm a Tom Brady fan so I'm going to pick up his jerseys or uh Julian Edelman because I'm a Patriots fan if I get a basketball jersey I'm probably going to get Larry Bird or Pete Maravich or uh uh fuck bomb koozie or something like that but the point is is that they actually spoke with their their wallets you guys don't speak with your wallets where were you to go to these football games supporting colin kaepernick and all these people you weren't there yeah so yeah yeah that's 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 what that's the biggest voice is always money it's always the green stuff this seems to be a thing. It's it's the same thing with the feminist movement, who go around saying that these video games are evil and vile and disgusting. Blah 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 blah. They want they want to interject their feminism into games, but they don't even want to be a part of the gaming community. It's not even like they want to be in the gaming community, but but they can't because their views don't align. They just want to change the video game community and then go fuck off somewhere else. It's really mind-boggling how they want to interject at their political ideologies and things that they don't even have an emotional investment in. It's like what Bill Burr says. It just seems like, well, he said women, but he thinks that women do not like it when men enjoy things. Because we have an ability to enjoy simple shit. I don't know if it's women, but it's definitely feminine. It's the hardcore feminists that are like that. But uh, getting back to point here, we really went on oh, a tangent. Man, we went on a tangent. <laughs> Getting back on point here with the HBO Max. Um, yeah, so they cancel a lot of DC projects. They cancel these two films. They also canceled the Scooby-Doo animated uh, Christmas special that apparently they were working on, which was almost done. And I, I, did, mean, hear, I did hear they were going to get rid of a lot of animation. Yeah, because remember what we said on our last, either last episode or the one before that, they were not going to focus on family-friendly projects. And Scooby-Doo fits into that category. Oh, that's ridiculous. It, it's crazy. It kind of is for families. But when you have a character that's a very well-known stoner, how kid-friendly is it? And it they don't outright say he's a stoner, but come on. No, he's no, just, there, there's a lot of innuendos. I mean, they make a lot of jokes that may go over a child's head. But as you get older, you're like, wait a minute, this guy's a stoner. Yeah, like, <laughs> he thought he was just a doofus. The first movie. He still might be, but he's still he's a stoner as well. The very first movie, a joke that I didn't get as a kid, but I get now, is Shaggy 
I think he's on a plane and he's sitting next to a girl and he's like, what's your name? She goes, Mary Jane. And he goes, Mary Jane's my favorite name of all time. Like, oh, yeah, I get it. Of course, Shaggy got to be the fucking stoner. Now, to be fair, that show came out, what, in the late 60s, 70s? So that was the hippie era. So Shaggy is like a super duper hippie. But point being is that why would you get rid of, I mean... Scooby-Doo is one of the more iconic cartoons. Yeah, I say Scooby-Doo is a draw, and it's probably the biggest well-known cartoon of the Hanna-Barbera era. I mean, I can see maybe Flintstones being a rival to them, but still. Yeah. I mean, the semi-main event, like the upper mid-card, would be like Johnny Quest. Yeah, Johnny Quest, you know, maybe Jetsons would be in the middle somewhere. I mean, I'm surprised Jetsons. we never got like a live-action Jetsons movie from the 90s. Yeah. We did get Flintstones. I think two of them. You got Flintstones. You got Dudley Do-Right. Oh, God, and Dudley Do-Right. And it's Scooby-Doo. But we never got a Jetsons. Didn't we get Crocodile Hunter? Got Crocodile Hunter? Yeah, that was 80s. Was it? Oh, oh no, 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 no. I'm thinking uh, Crocodile Dundee. Excuse me. Crocodile Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the early 2000s. Yeah. Crazy to think that they're not going to focus on... Because you don't have to focus every single piece on family-oriented stuff, but... The family-oriented stuff is easier to market because anybody can buy it. And it'll probably make the most money because any audience can pick it up. Yeah, it's depending like, on who you're catering to. Yeah, but for the most part, if, they, if it's like a Pixar, you know, that's that's their movies are for all ages. Right, and it's easier to market. Uh, yeah. I mean, granted, they're limited to what they can do, like no swearing, no blood. like, But it's easy to market to a mass audience. Uh, that's why it was so remarkable that Deadpool made as much money as it did because it's a rated R film and it made I think it grossed 786 million dollars in the box office in today I mean in today's era that's yeah that's crazy yeah so yeah point being is that why would you want to not focus at all on anything family oriented I mean that's the Universal Studios and Disney raking billions of dollars in their theme parks because it's a family oriented business where anybody of all ages can go and enjoy themselves yeah Warner Brothers they have their own they have their own theme park too they have the Six Flags I mean it's not I mean they're not on a level of a Disney world but still I mean at least Six Flags you could put that in different parts of the country I'm pretty sure they're raking a shit ton of money too but the fact I mean they're going after all HBO Max originals movies and series and and there's and they're going after them because I, it seems like it's I think for tax reasons, but they spent so much money on these movies. I think Batgirl had a budget of ninety million, Scooby Doo I believe was forty or fifty million. I mean these these aren't like t like small TV movies. These are like legit movies. Hmm. Was the Scooby Doo Christmas movie supposed to be animated? Computer animation. Yeah, I I really don't know why they would be doing this. But... They, I also read somewhere they want to focus. They want to get away from scripted shows, and they, they want to do more reality-based shows for HBO Max. Uh, I see some on here already. Gee, just what we need—another Kardashian. Yeah, another ninety-day fiance, twenty and pregnant. I don't know. Like seriously. But the uh, big merger is supposed to be happening next year. Discovery Plus and uh, HBO Max. 
I'm worried. Uh, the CEO, you know, he's making a shit ton of changes, possibly for good, possibly for bad. I'm, I'm happy. I do agree with some of the shit he's canceled. I mentioned with the CW shows. All that shit's got to go. Start, and he wants to start fresh with DC. I don't know if he's starting fresh completely. Is he going to replace Superman? Are we going to get another new Batman? A new Aquaman? A new Wonder Woman? I don't know. A they're still trying to get Henry Cavill back as Superman. Also here, he's being, he's possibly in discussions with Marvel. Some people, he's rumored to be uh, Mr. Fantastic for the Fantastic Four. He actually would make a good Reed Richards, come to think of it. But uh, I heard Kevin Feige, uh, the Marvel producer, hit up a lot of the, uh, hit up the director of uh, Batgirl. Says, hey, you know, sorry about what happened. I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get him in for a movie or something. Uh. But, um, I mean, HBO Max, man. I really like this ad, but I hope they don't fuck it up. We'll have to wait and see. It's one of those wait and see things because it's not happening until next year, these big changes. So, Yeah, they already made a lot of changes now. As I mentioned, a lot of movies get uh, got canceled. A lot of shit got removed. But uh, yeah, it's just a wait and see. And our final news story before we get to the, our cubic discussion. We have Jeanette McCurdy. Uh, for those that don't know, she played Sam and I, Carly, and on the spinoff series, Sam and Cat, which I believe Cat, the Ariana Grande's character, is the same character from Victorious. Yes. It was supposed to be a crossover show. Okay, a crossover spinoff. Gotcha. Somewhat, yeah. Uh, after I, Carly had finished up in... Oh, I forgot what year they finished up. 2011? 2012? Somewhere, somewhere around that time. Fuck, it's been 10 years? It's been a while, because that show lasted about four or five years, because Nickelodeon has a tendency to cancel shows after four years for some reason, with the exception of a couple. Like All That, Rugrats, uh, Spongebob. Well, usually, yeah, usually, like, that seems to be the average time of, like, a sitcom Nickelodeon show is, like, three or four seasons, which I guess is a success. I guess that's good for them yeah, a lot of them would do last a couple of years and then they call it quits whether because the uh, kids get older or they get busy it's, pr it's probably an age thing I don't know I don't know because that's just the way it is but some shows do outlast that as I said oh hey Arnold was another one that lasted longer than yeah. four well, seasons that's, it's, that's animation that's different and all that is a sitcom so it's not a sitcom a sketch a sketch show so you always rotate cast members. That's probably why it had more longevity than other shows. Yeah, I know Drake and Josh was canceled. Keenan and Kel. Yeah, yeah, three or four seasons. That seems to be an average that these sitcoms usually go for with Nickelodeon. But the reason I bring her name up is that she has a new memoir uh, book coming out called... Uh, I just had the name here. I'm glad my mom died. Damn. Damn. I um, and from the sound of it, I heard uh, she did not like her mother at all. Her mother basically would use her, really just and spend all her money. She used her in every way she could when it came to her uh, run on Nickelodeon. Uh, Jeanette McCurdy uh, is a teen star. I, I guess I guess all teen stars could categorize as child stars. Um, she she did uh, iCarly, and then after that, she, we mentioned she did Sam and Cat for one season. And then after that, she did a Netflix show for a bit. It didn't do too well. And then after that show, after that got canceled, she uh, retired. 
a couple years ago, um, I know a lot of people, when the whole cancel culture movement kind of went into full effect, I believe the first victim they really went after was Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, he kind of, yeah, he kind of deserved it. No, yeah, he did deserve it, because when this whole thing was happening, a lot of people were, because the people they seemed to be going after were all the rich people. And yeah. Harvey Weinstein's a very powerful uh, producer in Hollywood, and then they went after him, and slowly everyone started speaking out against him, including Uma Thurman. A lot of actors spoke up against him, how he would basically, you know, make these women do all these things. Um, and, and now, as of recently, we already talked about Vince McMahon. I mean, really, it's just a matter of time before we get to Vince. Um, I know Dan Schneider, a couple years ago, they went after him, and he got canceled. And a lot of different actors, a lot of the that did all these shows, like Carly, Victorious, all spoke out against him. And you can even see like some of the photos he would take with the kids. He would hug them too. Uh, it just looks so awkward because the way he would hug them, he would hug them almost like they were like his own kid. And um, Jeanette in her uh, book, uh, they pulled out a few notes. I, I I don't think it's out yet. I'm actually considering getting getting the book just to read all the stories. Uh, she mentioned how uh, behind the scenes, Dan Schneider will always rub her shoulders. Always give her like a shoulder shoulder massage. Always him. No one else. And she mentioned, look, I do like shoulder rubs, but not from him. Yeah. Especially the fact there's like a huge age gap there. She's still a teenager and he's like, I don't, I don't know how old he is. Let's just say he's in his 40s. Uh, by that but point, yeah, he could have been in yeah. his 40s. But those I don't know, real quick, Dan Schneider is a big uh, producer for Nickelodeon. He produced uh, a lot of the uh, sitcoms from the mid-90s all the way till the mid to uh, 2010s. Keenan and Kel, Drake and Josh, all that. Um, the Amanda Show, uh, iCarly, Victorious. I'm pretty sure there's other shows that I'm missing. Maybe the Thundermans, I don't know. I, I stopped keeping track after a while. But yeah, he was a big driving force. He was responsible for all those shows. Mm-hmm. And to hear all the shit that he did behind the scenes That he would make these girls Apparently he made a lot of the girls clean his car And he wanted them to dress in their bikinis When they did so um, Yeah that's creepy If it was just cleaning the car That'd be one thing But if they're cleaning the car And these are underage girls in bathing suits That's really really that's bizarre Very creepy Very bizarre um, there was a video that was up on Twitter, um, Ariana Grande. She would, like, answer all these weird questions. Like, Ariana, can you put your foot in your mouth? And then she would take her foot and put her toe in her mouth. I'm like, oh, what the fuck? And and also, surprise, surprise, uh, uh, Schneider has a foot fetish. Which yeah, explains the Nickelodeon logo. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember sending that to you. But um, I, I don't know if you have more to say, but I do have personal thing going on so um go ahead it's it's so conflicting because first of let's get this out of the way right now these are allegations i want to be clear dan schneider is innocent until proven guilty these are what people are saying i do find it hard to believe that every single motherfucker is lying but that could be the case that being said, I real just quick, want to put that. Uh, cut it real quick before you continue. Hold that thought. Um, Keenan, uh, no, not Keenan. Kel's ex-wife, who well, he was married from the late '90s to the mid 2000s. She was. I don't think she was on any of these shows. She may have been on all that. I can't remember. 
But she also claimed, yes, all these things did happen because she was witness and saw all, like, Schneider and one of his writers do a lot of these things to these kids. Apparently, they also, what? like, they would ask him to, that for the women, especially the teenage girls, to get the blowjobs. They would send dick pics to them. And yeah, she practically confirmed all this. It's, I, it's, I think it's the interviews on YouTube somewhere. Well, even then, she's still a witness. And at the end of the day, it's still an allegation. It's yes. not, that's not permissible in court. There needs to be physical evidence of this. So that being said, um, I just want to lay that out there because I don't want to say that this is Dan Schneider because at the end of the day, he still needs to have his day in court. But there is one story in particular that really does bother me tremendously. And if he's at the, the helm, he should be ashamed of himself and Dan Schneider if he is responsible. But there's one actress in particular where she was a big formidable character on Nickelodeon and I remember watching her grow up always found her entertaining and maybe it was the facade I don't know but she would be smiling she would always like have like a bubbly personality whether it be on her shows or in interviews or whatnot and if you see her today I can't remember a single picture she's taken now where she's actually smiling in front of the camera. It's so fucking depressing looking at her. That being Amanda Bynes. Mm -hmm. You take a look at Amanda Bynes prior to, uh, from the time that she started, all the way up till I would say around the time she did that movie Easy A in was, 2010. Yeah, that was her last movie. She looked so fun, but now... Granted, she may have been hiding some shit because there's so many different actors and actresses that have come out that you see them smiling like Robin Williams. And then all of a sudden you find out they commit suicide and you find out there was more skeletons in their closet. With Amanda Bynes, though, it's like you see her. She looks so bubbly. She looks so fun and full of life. And somewhere after 2010, she started getting hit with all these DUIs setting fires on people's lawns and, and just going completely fucking nuts to where she started, like, you look at her now, she's no longer blonde, she has jet black hair, she's a little bit puffier in the face, she's got a weird nose piercing, she's got a tattoo of a heart, and she never smiles. She, in her photos and some of the video clips that she has put out, speaking, she looks like she's in a complete fucking trance. If that has anything to do with Dan Schneider and what he may have done to her. I mean, granted, it's kind of weird because she started experiencing this meltdown in her mid-20s. But it's sad looking at Amanda Bynes right now. Because I'm looking at her and that's not the Amanda Bynes that I grew up with. I grew up with Amanda Bynes. I love, yeah. I love watching her on all that. I love watching her on her show, Amanda, the Amanda Show. I liked her in Big Fat Liar. Uh, wasn't she in another show called What I Like About You? Yeah, that was that. Yeah, I think Dan Schneider was producer of that too. But that wasn't a Nickelodeon show, I don't think. No, it was. I think that was a CW or, or WB11 show. But he was involved. He was a co-creator of that show. Oh, I didn't know he did things outside of Nickelodeon. That may be one of the very few projects he did. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. He was a co-producer. You are correct. Oh, 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's sad, but if Dan Schneider is responsible for all this stuff, this is this is some serious stuff. Because I think Megan Fox was also somebody who auditioned for a show, and she had reported something where they wanted her barefoot by the pool so you could see the feet. But it seems like a lot of these child actresses or actors just Lindsay Lohan being another one. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Um, Disney, I'm pretty sure is guilty of this as well. Um, yeah, yeah, they, like being a child star on these shows, it's very, it seems to be very demanding. You would think, oh my god, it, it must be, you must be having a time of your life making these shows. The Amanda shows these kids are having so much fun. They must be super best friends behind the scenes. Everyone thought Drake and Josh were super close. Remember, remember when his wedding happened and, and uh, Drake was not there. The internet, yeah. the internet was ready to burn the place down. Yeah, I did hear about that, and and maybe this has something to do with it. So I remember watching an interview with Jim Cornette many years ago, and they had asked him about the Von Erich tragedy. To any of you folk who don't watch wrestling there was a family back in the 80s called the bon erics it was uh david mike chris carrie kevin there was also a kid named jake but he had died at a very young age but all five of these individuals were wrestlers well david in 1984 died from some sort of inflamed intestine but some suspected was suicide but who knows so mike was the flagship bearer to try and carry that burden Mike goes ahead and kills himself because he couldn't carry the burden. He almost died in some sort of motorcycle accident or some shit. Chris, who uh, had stunted growth because he had asthma and the medication that he was taking, uh, literally made him short, chubby, and brittle bones. So if he ever did a move, he would get injured super freaking easily. He was upset that he could never make it as a wrestler. He goes ahead and shoots himself. Uh, Carrie who was also carried the burden to be the next David Von Erich, was about to face prison time for drug possession or some shit like that, had a prosthetic foot, he goes and kills himself. So it's three Von Erichs that kill himself. So literally all the Von Erichs are killing themselves, and the only one left is uh, Kevin. And most people are like, how could this happen? Blah, blah, blah. And Jim Cornette brought up a point. I think part of the problem was they never grew up. Because they were all young. Their father, Fritz was the owner of the Texas Territory. He was rich because he basically ran the territory, owned Texas wrestling. So these kids, and on top of it, they were all wrestlers, and they were considered heartthrobs in Texas. So right from the gate, he's throwing them out into stardom with all this money that they never had time to actually grow up and have to understand the art of paying bills or being on time with mortgages or managing your taxes or buying a, a car. They never had time to grow up, so they had destructive behaviors. And I think the same thing could be said about Michael Jackson, who had a camera thrown right in his face the second he was born. And that's probably why you could see a lot of craziness come out of Michael Jackson with some of the stuff he did. I don't think Michael Jackson was a malicious person at all. I just think that he never had a chance to really grow up. He never really had a childhood. I'm sorry? He never had a childhood. No. He never got to experience what it's like to be a kid. I mean, you can even say the same thing about uh, a Macaulay Culkin or Corey Feldman. 
Corey Feldman's off the deep end. McCauley had a bad father, abusive father, apparently. Uh, Judith Bartsy didn't even get to grow up. She got murdered by her father at the age of 10. I think it's part of the problem is these kids just look at the Olsen twins now. They, they don't look that good right now. They, they really look like they've been through it all. And they too, the Olsen twins are another group of uh, individuals who I barely see smile in any of their photos right now. And they're around the same age as Amanda Bynes. Do you notice most of these kid actors who were real famous as children, most of them when they grow up, they you see them, you could see that they're so traumatized by all the abuse that they suffered as children. I sometimes yeah. wonder, I'm just glad that Macaulay Culkin came over, overcame his demons. Yeah, and it took, yeah, it took Macaulay a long time, but he eventually got over, I'm so happy he's doing so much better. Like, when you see him on AVGN, when you see him, uh, when he makes appearances, he looks so happy. And he was on American, and he's slowly getting back into acting. He was on in the last season of American Horror Story, and he was great. That, and I think it also helps that he's with Brenda Song, so I guess she's been a big help. Who's another? Also, who's an ex-child star too, or teen star, whatever. Yeah, I think that also helps that he has somebody there to support him and and help him. So I'm glad that we got a Macaulay Culkin just to. Kind of show that you don't have to go down this destructive path. It's never, it's never too late. But you know, I uh, going back to Dan Schneider and Jeanette. Yeah, yeah when I uh, more stories, um, Cal, uh, the Cal's yeah ex-wife, she sent her interview that um, uh, Snyder and the people would make fake IDs for them to get into clubs. Um, they would endorse them to drink alcohol. Probably endorse them to do drugs as well because usually when you do drugs or like cocaine, because when you're a child star, it seems like when you do these shows, you're constantly working. And what gives you energy? Drugs. It shouldn't shouldn't be the case because child actors are only limited to like a certain amount of hours. Not in Florida. I guess because that's why that's why all the shows are made in Florida because uh, there are no uh, I'm not I, the child labor laws in Florida are very different from California. That is interesting because usually that's why they always hire twins because they know that if one twin has over exceeded their limit, they have the other one to work with. Yeah, because you remember at the end of all the Nickelodeon shows, Nickelodeon shows is filmed in a studio in Florida, and yep. and you don't you don't think about it, but but it was in that interview she brought up in the laws there's no. It's very different from uh, California, and you know you could get around all this. And and I never thought I I never thought about. It. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, because all those projects are made in California, but what about Florida? And that's yeah. and that's how they get them. It's interesting. It's interesting to think about. The fact that they make them these fake IDs, they 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 enforce them to drink alcohol. Dan Schneider needs to have his day in court. Yeah, he, um, he he did an interview last year for the New York Times, and he's denied everything. All these claims that people threw at him, that threw at everybody, he's denied every single one. He shot them all down, and he says he wants to get back to producing shows for uh, producing TV shows again. Well, before that happens, he needs to clear his name. Yeah, and he's been given that chance. Yeah, and I don't know if that day's ever going to come because now with this new book out, she also mentioned that Nickelodeon. Uh, wanted to pay her, uh, Jeanette McCurdy, I'm talking about, wanted to pay her 300 k in hush money. That's what she had proclaimed. Now, it's possible it could happen. And I only say this because 
there was, well, there is. I shouldn't say there was. He still makes videos. There's a YouTube user by the name of ProJared. He makes uh, video game content, usually reviews or just uh, vlogs about video games. That's that's mainly his forte. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. It was either 2018 or 2019. Some weird controversy came out that he was showing his nudes to minors or whatever. And he was sexting minors. And for about three months, the internet eviscerated him. Like, canceled him, pretty much. Now, three months later, I don't know why he waited three months. He waited, I guess he wanted to wait until it all died down. He finally made a video showing receipts and showing that everything that people had told you about me is complete bullshit. And he proved it. He basically played the reverse card and showed you, yo, these accounts that accused me of sexting them was all bullshit and proved it. He showed the tweets, showed them deleting the Twitter accounts as soon as the whole controversy ended, blah, 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 blah. And now Pro Jared is back to making videos and everybody embraced him again. But he made a point at the very end, like, dude, none of you were here to support me. You all jump the gun and assume that I'm this way. So we have to keep that in mind with Dan Schneider. Uh, what is being said about him sounds very vile. And I hope to God it ain't the truth. But I'm not going to sit here and say Jeanette McCurdy is a liar. I'm just saying that Dan Schneider still needs to have his voice heard in what he saw. And then he has to have his day in court. And then the evidence has to be gathered. And then we have to determine from there... Is Dan Schneider a liar? Is Jeanette Curry telling the truth? Yeah, this is the hush money that she sent her. Now, that also can be a, a situation where she can get sued. Because if it's hush money, if she signed a non-disclosure agreement. Well, then again, you said she refused, right? I don't know. I'll, I was. I, I guess you got to kind of read the book to find out. Right. But if she, she refused. Your book, I don't know if she took it or refused. or She probably refused. If she refused, then she's free from legal liability. If she signed it, that's where it gets a little bit problematic. So, I'm not defending Dan Schneider. Let me put that to rest. I'm not defending him. I'm not. If he did do this, it's really heartbreaking because he's been responsible for so many of my childhood shows. But in the end, I, if he did do this, I want to see him behind bars. Yes. To never see the light of day. But... I also want to be fair. I don't want him to serve time if none of this really happened. And who knows? If did it really happen? Did it not? I'm not saying people are lying. I'm just saying I want all the facts to be out there laid out and have them have his day in court. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, she um I, I'm not sure, but someone else said that when um the company Viacom who owns Nickelodeon when they did investigations or all this, they um it's like they did investigations and then they never really spoke up about it again. Now, was it because they found something they didn't want to find? Was it because everything that they were saying about Snyder that was right and they didn't want to go public with it because it would make Nickelodeon and the whole brand look bad? I don't know. Uh, I all that, they thought of all that. Probably the same when Subway kept quiet about Jared the Subway guy. Because when his shit came out, apparently Subway knew about it. Was, and I'm not surprised. I'm like, of course they knew about it. They don't want to go public with it because Jared is like the big, he's the guy. He's the big speaker for them. He's been doing it for years. Yeah. 
nearly 15, 16 years, he was the subway guy. And then he pretty much pleaded guilty to having child pornography and going out to see a 17-year-old. So it, at that point, they had to sever ties with him, which at this point, subway commercials aren't the same. But then again, I'd rather a pedophile be taken off the streets personally. So, yeah. The point is that who knows, man? This is it's if everybody, if what they're saying is true, Kel's ex wife, Jeanette McCurdy, if they, what they're saying is true, this is this is dark shit, man. Real yeah. dark. Yeah, I know some other actress uh, spoke out. She did a show. Uh, I can't remember the name. I can't remember the name of her name. I don't know the name of the show because this came out in like the mid 2010s and I was totally out of Nickelodeon by that point in my life. Yeah. But yeah, she mentioned some other writer that Dan used to work with was also a nasty fuck as well. He was the one that filmed those uh, Ariana Grande with the when he put her, her foot in her mouth. And uh, like he would take these weird photos with the kids as well. It's it sucks. They take advantage of these kids. They're young. They don't know. It's not until they get older. They realize, oh, my God. And, and and they purposely I, try to hire these kids who they know are not going to be big stars in the future, with the very few exception of maybe Amanda Bynes, who would have been a huge star had she not had her problems, and um, Keenan Thompson. And I'll say this. If, let's just say, everything is that's being said is true, if the parents already had prior knowledge of it, shame on you guys. Shame on you. That's probably... I can't, I'm not reading Jenna McCurdy's mind. I don't know. If that's the reason why she's glad her mother's dead, because she had prior knowledge to her getting all this shit thrown at her from Dana Schneider or whatever, that mother is vile as much as the person committing the act. Because yeah. you're supposed to protect your child. I might get this book. <laughs> yeah, I'll see. And I, I, I never really watch any Jenna McCurdy's work, but... She was I, great tonight, Carly. I liked okay. her. Right? Yeah, and it seemed like her and Miranda Costco had great chemistry together. You could, I mean, off screen, they, they were best friends. Yeah, because the characters were Miranda Cosgrove, Carly. She played the, the, the girl next door, the happy-go-lucky girl, and Jeanette McCurdy played the uh, the tomboy, like, punching boys in the arms and, and burping and drinking soda type of deal. They had great chemistry, and then the third one... Uh, played by Nathan something. He was basically the awkward guy who crushed on both. Well, she hates Jenna McCarty's character at first because they always clashed. But was in uh, in love with Carly, I guess. And then eventually, it, it's, it's complicated. But yeah, I thought all three of them had great chemistry together. And then the kid who played Gibby added to the show. And the, the guy who played the older brother of Carly, I think it, they had a good cast on that show very good cast so it was a shame when I heard that Jenna McCurdy was not reprising her role because I thought she was essential to the show so that's why I haven't really rewatched the new show because she was pretty essential although Fuller House didn't have the Olsen twins and I still think that show held up yeah I think I think the new I Carly's ready on their season two so I mean they seem to be doing fine um, I, I, they kind of left the door open if whenever if ever Jeanette ever wants to come back, or it'd probably be like a guest spot for any reason. I mean, it'd be cool if, if they ever made it to the finale and then she appeared on like the finale episode. Yeah, well, that's our choice. 
yeah but you know it's up to her but she's mentioned she's like basically done with acting she kind of wants to get involved with directing but never say never you know yeah true that everybody thought steve carell was done with the office after season seven on the very last episode because he was a big movie star by that point he came back just to do like a cameo I thought that was pretty good closure for the show and for his character that he came back for that. Yeah, we also thought CM Punk would never come back to wrestling and, well, came back. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, you never know. You never say never in this business. Or or we thought Vince McMahon would die in his chair before he ever stepped down. And guess what? He stepped down. He stepped down. <laughs> So um, those are all my news stories. We had a lot, a lot to cover. We went over an hour on the news stories. God damn! Who knows how long we're gonna go with these movies? Yeah, hopefully not as long because there's really not a lot here. Well, at least not with the sequels. But we'll we'll get started right now. And we'll see where we go with it. All mm-hmm. right, ladies and gentlemen, we, we we finally made it to the movie reviews. We got three films to discuss here. Um, of your choice, this is, uh, well, you chose the first film, as I mentioned, Ari, and I chose the other two. I figured, make a fucking trilogy. We're gonna start with Cube! It came out in 1997, it's rated R, it's an hour 30 minutes. Directed by Vince, uh, Vincenzo Natale. Um, he was not involved in any of the other sequels, he was only involved with this first film, and he co-wrote it as well. The only other film I know of him that he directed was the Netflix movie Under the Tall Grass, which was an adaptation of Stephen King. But he directed this film, co-wrote it, Cube, rated R, starring a bunch of Canadian actors. It was filmed in Canada, our favorite country. Filmed in Canada, buddy. I, yeah. I, know, I recognize some of the Canadian actors. They've done other Canadian projects, including Goosebumps. But let's talk about Cube. Now, uh, you you saw this film before I did. I remember you always tell me about the movie Cube. And I saw it a couple years ago for the first time when it was on Netflix. And I rewatched it again on Tubi. All three films are currently streaming on Tubi if you guys want to check it out. But how did you come across Cube? Came across Cube from, I think I said it in one of our uh, episodes. This was 2010, and this was Bitter Steven. So to curb my happiness, I watched a video of just gory deaths, and it had the death of one we're going to talk about of Raichen. Uh, who I labeled as one of my top 10 favorite death scenes of all time uh, from Cube Zero. And I was like, what the fuck is this movie? And I found out that Cube Zero was the third movie of this trilogy. I was like, why don't I watch them in order? So I decided to watch Cube and I found out, like, after watching the first Cube, I got a lot of Saw vibes from it. Saw definitely seemed like it took a lot from Cube. I didn't know what it was, but the first movie is, it's weird because it's fucking great, but it does the polar opposite of what I like in movies in that a lot of things that we've complained about in certain movies is stuff that doesn't get explained. But I think because in this movie they explain why things are unexplained, it makes it better to get to the point of it. So the movie starts off with a random bald guy who's in this cube. Now keep in mind, from what I've read, literally they did this whole movie in one room. Like they just replicated this cube and changed the lighting. Yep. That's amazing to me. It's crazy. Amazing. And in a good way. That's like real, real, real budgeting, but real smart budgeting. So 
he's looking around and he sees all these different colored cubes. Like some rooms are red, blue, orange, green, whatever. And he walks into a room and all of a sudden you hear a weird noise and he's cut up into little pieces. That's that's the gory kill in this film. And it's like a weird fence that went right through him. It's so like a weird it. wire fence that went through him. His death scene was similar to the one guy in uh, Resident Evil when he got cut up with the lasers. But yes. I thought this was done way better. Mm-hmm. So then we're in a room and you've got you've got uh Quentin, you've got Worth, you've got Holloway, you got Levin, and you got Ren. They all have different qualities to them. Holloway is like the lovable heart. Uh Worth is the more realistic of the bunch, even though he seems nihilistic. Levin is the brains because she's very good at math. Quentin is the leader type of guy, and, and Ren yeah. is Ren is like the prisoner who's able to get through security and t- shit like that. Yeah, he's almost like an escape escape artist in a way. Now, in this exchange, you start to think that Quentin's going to be like the hero. A lot of people that I've read in comments when it comes to scenes from this movie seem to think that he is a psychopath right from the start. And I don't think that, and I'll get to why, but we'll have to go along as everything goes on. So they're locked in this cube. They don't know what the hell is going on. Like, they're just locked in this cube. And Ren comes up with the idea, because that's where you find out that he's a prisoner that escapes prisons. He's very good at going through uh, security and all that. He comes up with the logic of taking his boot, throwing it in a room, and seeing if a trap goes off. And if he throws his boot, and all of a sudden a trap goes through and then they know not to go through that room and they just go through that for quite a bit until there's one point where ren throws his boot in nothing happens but he goes in the room and it's trapped and i and i like how he says uh i think he says mad which is french for shit. and i'm probably mispronouncing that so apologies to all the french people because he's supposed to be french and i like how he just said shit in french it's quite well done and so his kill is he gets into the room, he says, Mead, turns around and gets squirted in the face, his face melts off. Yeah, Quite. acid. So, other scenes. So, now uh, the other thing is, is that they see these numbers. They see numbers all around these rooms. And at first, Levin, who's the, the brains, thinks that it has something to do with them being prime numbers. There's prime numbers and there's composite numbers. I think prime is the one where there's only one uh, mathematical way to reach that number, or one or two ways. And composite is multiple ways, or I have it vice versa. I don't know. Yeah, like two, three, five, seven, eleven, thirteen. Yeah. Those are all prime numbers. Mm-hmm. We're only yeah. The only way you would go it is just is by multiplying one. So what, anyway. what prime numbers? Are. So anyways, that's how they try to navigate the room. But meanwhile, they get introduced to one more character named Kazan. And Kazan is autistic. Well, I shouldn't have said that. They first think he's mentally challenged because he lands into their this room that's green. And he starts saying, this room's green. And starts banging his head. And that's when Holloway, or was it Holloway, tries to like stop him from banging his head. And he goes, this room's green. I want to go back to the blue room. So at first, you think he's mentally challenged, but moving on, 
they eventually end up in a red room and Quentin is getting sick of uh, Worth because he's just so like nonchalant about everything. He's just like, what the fuck? And eventually they get into a big argument and Worth exposes himself as being part of the design. But he only designed the outer shell, but he didn't design anything else. But then that's when it's revealed. And this is where I think why they can get away with this. So they all don't understand why they've been put into this cube. And Holloway comes up to the conclusion she thinks this is the government thing, which is what your first conclusion is. It's a government experiment. They just put a bunch of these people into a fucking cube and you figure it out. Like, like rats in a trap type of deal. But then that's when uh, Worth says, you don't get it. There's no big brother watching us. This is an illusion that that there's some sort of government conspiracy, even though there's none really going on. And Quentin just basically is like, that's your fucking explanation. And he's like, it's the only explanation I can come up with because we've been running around for hours, this, that, and the other. And that's when Holloway says, wow, that's even scarier to know that nobody's watching it. Or it's like, nah, it's just more pathetic. And Quentin, for some reason, I love the way he delivers this line. <laughs> he just looks at him and goes, you make me sick, Worth. I don't know why the way he delivers that line just makes me laugh. But yeah, there's another thing. There, there is one inconsistency, though. Is that Kazan does not like red rooms. So he covers his eyes. But in this exchange, they're in a red room and Kazan is just sitting there without his eyes closed. For some reason. Maybe maybe the bickering of them arguing going back and forth is distracting him from realizing the red the red room. Maybe I don't know, but eventually they get to a point where they see a blue room, but it's sound activated. Anytime somebody makes a sound, there's like meat and needles coming through. So now they have no way to get around. So they decide they're going to go through the room. This, in my opinion, is the most well done scene because when i first saw it i don't feel it now but when i first saw it i'm like tense i'm like oh they gotta keep quiet they gotta keep quiet <laughs> there's this points where like kazan is like moving around in the wrong direction everybody gets through and quentin decides to go last to make sure everybody gets through so uh i think there's a point where because uh quentin loses his belt or uh, something drops but nothing happens or no, no, it was the doorknob. It turned back to its original form because there's one point where Quentin, not Quentin, uh, Kazan, after he starts to go the right way, his pant leg gets caught in one of the doorknobs. So he has to spin himself around to get untangled. But mm -hmm. the doorknob was turning back. And once realized nothing happened, Quentin was like, Whoa. and then that's when Kazan goes, ah, and freaking Quentin has to run. Because yeah, the knife, yeah, the knife almost went went off and, and impaled him. Yeah, and he nearly wanted to kill Kazan. This that, and the other. That's when the group starts breaking apart because Quentin starts going crazy and and arguing with Holloway. So okay, many people think that Quentin was a psychopath alone. I don't think he was a psychopath. I think he was someone that just kind of descended into the madness. That's what I think. He just kind of went crazy as because he was getting very impatient by that point. Yeah, he had no food, he had no water, he had nothing. Literally, this is how they hydrated themselves. Ren came up with this idea to put a button in their mouth so that they can have the saliva flowing. That's all they had. They had no food, no, no nothing. 
And Quinton, I think, like you said, he was just losing it. He was losing that leadership deal. So it was like, he, like you said, he was just diving into madness. So there's one point where they get reached the end, or what well, seems to be the end of the cube, but they're not really at the end. They're like many feet up in the air, and there's just an empty space. So they decide to create a rogue to see how far down or what's across from it. And they decide that Holloway is going to go and try and see if she can get anywhere. So they use their jackets and their pants because they're dressed up in prison suits. And now that all they have left on them is their white T-shirts and boxers. And Holloway is trying to swing to the other side, but she can't like nothing's there. And eventually she starts to trip and fall. And Kazan, or not Kazan, I'm sorry, uh, Quentin is strong enough to pull the rope up and she he grabs Holloway by the hand and eventually as he's holding her, he has the smile on his face and he just turns into a frown. At that point, you know he's going to fuck her up and just lets her go and Holloway dies. Very tragic scene. It was very well done. Yep. So, this so is where... Only four of them now. It's Quentin, Levin, Worth, and Kazan. Yep. So at this point... Levin already knows he did it. She, Levin knows he did it on purpose. So now this is where Quentin's really diving into madness. Because now he's trying to sexually feel her up. And trying to ditch Worth and Kazan. Because he feels like they're the ones that are holding them back. There's one point where he beats up Worth. And throws him into a room where Ren's body is. And then that's when he really starts to break down because he thinks that they're just been going around in circles. But then he realized something. He was like, wait a minute. Opens up the room to where Ren got squirted in the face. Because keep in mind, he got squirted in the face and came back into the original room that he was in. And he's like, wait a minute. Where's the room that, that Ren just got his face burnt off? And that's when they establish that the, the rooms are moving. So... That's when uh, Levin uh, comes to the conclusion that the cube is not about prime numbers. I forget what it is. It has something to do with the... uh, How did she explain it? These were uh, powers of a prime. The numbers were powers of a prime. And for her to deduce it, she would need like pen and paper. The numbers are super astronomical. But then that's when they realize that Kazan can actually come to the conclusion of these power of prime numbers in his head because he's not mentally challenged. He's autistic. So now they use him to be the one to, to go around. But meanwhile, they beat up Quentin because they realize he's fucking crazy. He's just going to hurt them. And they drop him in a room somewhere. So now it's just them three and he's left behind. There's one part in particular where they're trying to get into uh, the next cube. And Kazan was the first one to go, but now the cube is moving and he moves out. And it's like, oh shit, we just lost Kazan, but realize he only moved a couple of cubes down. They get Kazan. And I like how when he's doing the power prime numbers to get him to answer their uh, their questions, they promise him gumdrops because that's what he wants. <laughs> he, wants he wants gumdrops. It's great. So finally, they get to the end. And here's the funny part. They get to the end and they realize that they didn't even have to move from the original room they were in. If they had just stayed put, they would have made it to the exit. 
because these rooms only stay in a certain area for uh, a number of times. So if they just stayed in the same cube, they would have been at the end of the bridge. Now this this scene I thought was really well done. So they see the light, and Worth doesn't want to go. He's like, I got nothing to live for out there. Just a bunch of stupid people. And Levin basically says, I can live with that. And while this is all going on, you hear a door open. And that's where Quentin stabs Levin right through the stomach with one of the doorknobs. Yeah, and he's it. all bloody. Yeah, he's all bloodied up. He looks psychotic. Whoever the actor is that played Quentin did a fantastic job of going from what seemed to be a prospect, uh, prophetic leader into a guy driven to madness. Stabs her. He's about to go after uh, Kazan, but Worth tries to stop him. Obviously, he's not strong enough for Quentin. Quentin stabs him. And Kazan starts to panic and opens the door, goes to... As he's opening the door, I like when Quentin just raises his hands with bloody hands and goes, Look, Red! I'm trying to get <laughs> freaked out. <laughs> so then Kazan goes to the door, and then when he, uh, Quentin sees the light, he's like, Oh my god, I gotta get going. Tries to grab Kazan, but then Worth holds Quentin, and the cube is about to move. And Quentin's can't move he can't get out and then all of a sudden as the cube is moving just completely severs his body and then uh worth finally passes out from the pain from being stabbed kazan the autistic guy is the only one that survives the cube and he turns around to the light and just walks to it and then it just fades to white fades to white and then the closing credits i thought for a movie that didn't really explain why they're in the cube, it actually worked to its benefit. Yes, the less is more factor definitely worked here. It was great. And the fact that Kazan was the only one, because I've seen comments that said that why did Levin have to die? I think it made more of an impact to me that she did die. Yeah. If she had lived, the impact of Kazan being the only one to survive wouldn't have really meant as much. Yeah, then it would have felt like you know why you know why why was he there the whole time you know? It's just the way they did it was so well done. Everybody here did a great job of acting. They all did their roles well. Great movie, love it. And that's coming from somebody who gets real irritated when movies don't give me enough to understand what's going on. This movie, I think, it worked. Yeah, and it's because you said this, you feel like this was almost like maybe Saul was inspired by this. It could have been. But what's crazy is that I don't consider Q to be torture porn because it's not. I mean, there's really not a lot of gore, really just that opening scene and the guy getting his face sprayed with the acid. And then that was really it when it came to gore wise. I think it was more so how much are you willing to go through to survive? Mm -hmm. Because that's what Saul is. It's like, how much are you willing to... If you're put into a sticky situation, how much are you willing to sacrifice of yourself to survive? Yeah. That's really the gist of it. And um, I think that's where the inspiration comes from. It's really just the traps in general and how far they're willing to go. But this movie was so good. It's it's very, very good. It's very easy to watch, too. It doesn't feel like an hour and a half. Um, and the fact that they did this in one room in particular... The director, the whoever came up with that concept needs to pat themselves on the back because this was very well done. 
Uh, very well done. It was original. It was very original, yeah. I don't even think anybody else really did something like this. It's really, it's really good. I, the fact that they took Quentin and again, I still think that he was a good person. He just, like you said, driven into madness because he had no water. He had no food. He barely slept. He's you know, now. All, all the little things were aggravating him, like Kazan. That and people dying right in front of him in the most violent ways. Like he saw Ren's face burnt off. Like, dude, that's going to drive anybody to madness. Uh, not to say he was a good guy. I'm just saying that he he just was. He lost it. Yeah. So, and I think that was very well done. Super well done. This whole movie was just fantastic. There's not one boring moment in this movie. That's what I like about it. Yeah, it's definitely one of the it's one of the better films where the whole setting takes place in one room, or in this case, several rooms. But I mean, it was all shot in one room. One room, really. Yeah. And it was, I love it. It's it pretty crazy how they actually came up with a pretty damn good story. I mean, the, I mean, basically, cube basically operates almost like a Rubik's cube. Yep. And this is the puzzle, and you got to figure a way out. And if you make one bad mistake, it could cost you your life. Yep. And keep in mind, all the characters are named after prisons. Yes, I read that one in the back. Yeah, Kazan's named after a Russian prison. Worth is... David Worth is connected to Leavenworth Prison in the U.S. Uh, Quentin, San Quentin State Prison... Uh, Levin is Leavenworth Prison. Holloway is a Holloway Women's Prison in the UK. Wren is a prison from France. And the guy who gets killed in the very beginning, his name is Alderson. He's also a prison in the United States. So all but three are prisons in the United States because you got one in Russia, one in uh, France, and one in the United Kingdom. That is crazy. Um, another fact, um, the, uh, the director got the idea off of this movie from an episode of the Twilight Zone. Uh, I've seen the episode, it's called Five Characters. I forget the name of the title. But it's about five people that are trapped inside this room. It's a clown, a ballerina, a military guy, and two other people, I can't remember what they were. And they're all trying to figure out like, why the hell are we here? Called Five Characters in Search of an Exit. Yes, that's it, it's a good episode. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't think you've, you never really seen the original Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone, have you? No, it's more of my wife's thing, but I, I would not be opposed to watching the OG Twilight Zone with her. Well, that's a, that's an episode you should check out because the ending, the ending's good. I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but that's where the director got the idea from. Okay. Five characters are trapped in a room and they're trying to figure out, you know, why are we here? Do we all have a, com do we all have something in common? And then they realize... They keep hearing noises uh, outside of this room, and it realize the only way out is really just to kind of climb out, but there's no ladder. So they all have to basically try to stack on top of each other to get out. And then, of course, the big reveal at the end, you're like, oh. If you were going to ask me uh, where my thumbs are going way up for this film. Right. Yep, same for me. Two thumbs way up for me. Check out Cube, oh. as I mentioned. It is on Tubi. It was on Netflix at one point. Who knows? Maybe it'll end up back there eventually. But Cube... Tubi can't recommend it enough. It came out in 1997, and again, this is a, a a film where everyone knew what they were doing. They knew the movie they wanted to make with a very small limited budget they had, and they made this shit work. 
Yeah, and it works super well. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, do I have the? Let me find the budget here for this. Couldn't be that much. I uh three hundred fifty thousand. That makes sense. And it made back eight point nine million. Oh, so they definitely. Oh yeah, that that is what I call a success. Yeah, for sure. Because this is the '90s. Keep that in mind. So the money conversion different. Yep. But now I have one question for you, Steve. How much more can you do with this concept? With the puns, I will say only time will tell. Ha 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 ha! Yeah. Now we get into hyper. Tube Hypercube. It is a sequel to Cube One. Uh, it was directed by Andre Sakula and it was written by Sean Hood and produced by Ernie Barbarash. Remember that name because Ernie's name does come up again in the 31. As uh, none of the original characters are back for this film, it's a whole brand new cast of Canadian actors. Um. And there's a new theme when it comes to this film. And like the first one, this movie also, for the most part, was filmed inside of a cube. Um, it was filmed two locations, and I guess the second one will be in the big warehouse at the end of the movie. Yeah, this film... But this one I does just... not have the same effect that the first movie had. Uh, it doesn't have a budget here, but it drew back $3.5 million. I have a feeling this was directed DVD. I don't know why. It doesn't say here, but I think I feel like this was made like direct to VHS it has that vibe that quality to it well it says here box office 3.5 million so there was a movie theatrical release if it was it was probably a very limited one probably but 3.5 million is not that bad for a limited release that's not but, bad at all so I'll try my best to recap this movie but there there is some confusion so this one is not a situation where each room is trapped. This is this movie focuses more on time uh, elapsing or parallel universes. So there's a point where you see a girl who gets sucked into a different room. And then that's when you meet all these characters. I'll do my best to get them real quick. You got Kate Fillmore. Simon Grady, uh, you've got Sasha, you've got Jerry Whitehall, Max Reisler, Julia Sewell, and uh, that's that's pretty much the main cast. There's also a guy by the name of Colonel Thomas H. McGuire who doesn't understand this cube. He understands the old cube, the one from the first movie, because you've got the numbers in there, the powers of a prime number. So he understands that, but he doesn't see those same numbers here because this is a different type of cube. So when all these characters get together, they uh, that's where Jerry comes in and explains the quantum physics of a hypercube and the time travel. And that's where all the confusion really starts to begin. They do see the colonel who tried to kill himself because he realized that he can't figure this out. So they save him reluctantly. But see, here's the thing. So these rooms aren't trapped. Some random things will come into the room that they're in and will try to attack them. 
and they have to escape it. I didn't really like this concept. It felt very weird and didn't feel as intense as the other one where it's like the next room they go in could kill them. This was just really lazy to me. And it's harder to focus on the, the, the time portal thing. So I'll, there's not really much to say with this film. There's uh, the CGI yeah, was terrible. Yeah. The, wow. I can live with bad CGI if the story's all right, but it wasn't all right here. Simon is the quitting here, although he's not, he doesn't come off as a good guy from the get go. He already comes off as somebody who's going to hurt somebody at any cost, but he too starts to lose his mind as the film goes on because of all the craziness that's going on. There's Kate Fillmore, who's the main character. She's a psychotherapist. Uh, you've got Sasha, who's blind and she's a teenager. Uh, Jerry, he's, he's an engineer. He's the one that's able to explain the, the, the theory of a hypercube, which he thinks uh, is just a theory at the moment. And you got Max, who's a video game developer. And then you got Julia, who's a uh, defense lawyer. Becky Young, who's the girl that you see in the very beginning, she's a missing a missing worker from this company called Izon. And that's and Simon's the one that was hired to go find her. Yeah, so, Simon, he's also a private eye or PI, whatever. Right. So the rest of the film is them just trying to figure out how to escape this cube. They keep marking the rooms. But then they start seeing like random numbers. I think what was the major number that they kept seeing? Six oh six five nine. That's the the number they kept seeing, and they're like, "What's the significance to six oh six five nine?" Well, there's another person that they keep talking about called Alex Trusk, who's like this major hacker who can hack into government uh, computers and do some crazy shit. And it's all a myth, according to some people. Max believes in it, but Jerry thinks it's all a myth. Well, eventually, Jerry gets killed by one of those crazy things that invades the room and sucks him up and just chops him up. But here's the thing. He keeps reappearing in parallel universes because the parallel universes keep intertwining. Because there's one point where they, where Simon opens up a room and stabs or uh, gets sees somebody or he stabs somebody and says don't trust him and then his head gets knocked off he's seeing a parallel universe of himself they start seeing dead body versions of themselves it's really fucking weird so jerry keeps reappearing oh oh wait there's one character i completely forgot this, mrs paley mrs paley the the she was a theoretic theoretic uh, theoretical mathematician who had uh, dementia because she was always seeing different things. Mm -hmm. I forgot about her. How could I forget her? Um, but yeah, Simon's like very uh, impatient with her and eventually he, he stabs her to death and lets her get consumed by one of the traps that's coming in. Um, then there's a point where Max and Lindsay or Max and Julia get caught in a room and there's like weird time things going on there. Like there'll be one point where he's outside of this specific cube and she's inside and everything she sees in Max is going in super slow motion, but Max will see her and she's going in super fast motion. So they end up in this one room where they basically, even though that they're not each other's types, 
they start making out and start having sex, but they're in a room that fast forwards time. So it fast forwards so fast that they became old and died, which is weird. That was weird. I had to rewind that because I was because when I first saw it, I I didn't realize that that was supposed to be their death scene. And it, when it, and then when the movie finished, I'm like, what the hell happened to the, the other two? And I realized, oh, I guess they they aged out. Yeah, they aged out. Then they go. There's one room where it's Kate and Sasha, and Sasha basically just breaks down and says, uh, "There's no way out of here because." If I can't figure it out, you can't figure it out. And it's revealed she's Alex Trusk. I thought that was a terrible swerve. That was a terrible reveal. And I guess Sasha's kind of like her middle name or some shit. Yeah, it was it was terrible. And she was doing very bad at playing the, uh, the villain or whatever. And at some point, Simon opens up a door and is about to invade. But she stabs him in the eye. And then he reappears as an older version of himself because of the time portal travel and he's got Sasha has a knife to her head and she tries to plead with him not to kill her even though she's like one of the worst government uh, hackers there is so it's like why have her alive blah 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 he basically says you don't understand there's no way out of this and he's like oh okay and then she twists her neck kills her that's when uh, Kate and Simon have their battle and she basically kills him and she's trying to find a way out of this cube, but she can't figure out because all the rooms are now entrapped with like different parallel universes. And come to find out the number 60659 is a time. And that's the time she has to jump into the safe portal to get out of this cube, because otherwise, if she does it, it's all going to implode. So she escapes, grabs the thing from her necklace, and it's revealed that Kate knew about this cube and was the one to figure it out now in a deleted scene i think they revealed that everything that had happened in the cube only happened for six minutes and 59 seconds what they were going through only was six minutes and 59 seconds in real time they don't reveal it in the theatrical version so the theatrical version she just reveals yeah i made it gave them the little thing this little government agency and then they shoot her in the head no, it was basically it. That's the movie. I didn't hate this movie. It was very it. It got confusing once they mentioned time travel and the quantum realms. I'm like, oh god, this is where it's gonna lose me. It lost me because well, first of all, the characters themselves weren't as great as the ones in the first one. It didn't feel like I don't know. It's uh, yeah, this felt uh, the, the the rooms didn't feel like they were legit traps. It felt like they were escaping monster traps coming after them. I kind of feel like they were trying to get away from the gore. They were trying. I felt like they played it too safe here. Yeah. It was. It was not good. This this film. If I had to say, I'm just gonna say it right now. I thought it was the weakest of the three. I yeah, me too. I was gonna say I thought this was the weakest one. Cause it just didn't feel right, and and not only that. I mean, the third one is more guilty of it, but I think this one destroyed the mystery of the cube, which under normal circumstances, I'll be like, thank God they explained the cube. But I felt like, again, when I mentioned the first film, they did a good job of getting me to want them to not explain the origins of the cube because it makes it more mysterious. Yeah, they left it to the mind of the viewer what 
who made this. But here they explain that it's basically this company. It seems like they may have connections to the government as well. Well, it, actually, it, like all the lore is gone now. It's Izon that's responsible for this, apparently. Yes, which is some high tech company or some shit. Yeah, testing all this stuff. It's it wasn't that good. It just it was there was no real suspense. No. Just didn't feel right. No, no, no real traps and and the whole time travel. This room makes you go ah. And then the whole reveal at the end, I thought sucked too. I I, no, I didn't like the ending at all. Means, like, was there one rememberable death? Nope. A lot of deaths seem to have happened off screen. Well, Jerry's happened on screen. Man, his was bleh. Yeah, it sucked. Sasha's was on screen, but hers sucked. Yeah. Now I, I, I like the acid. Bring back the acid. Bring back the the barbed wire, the wires. I want to see people get cut up. Well, don't worry, because they do make up for it in the third one. Yep. Uh, Cube 2 came out in 2002. Yeah. Now we get to the last one. So, Hypercube, where are your thumbs with that? Nah, slightly down. Same, slightly down. I actually don't recommend it. I, not that it's bad. I don't think it's terrible. It's not the worst movie we reviewed on here, but... No, not it's a It's a big step down from the first one. Yes. But now, we get into Cube Zero. Cube Zero came out 2004. Another Canadian sequel to Cube, or in some cases, a prequel. However you want to look at it. Uh, written and directed by Ernie Barbarash, who produced uh, the second movie. He also uh, wrote and directed uh, Stir of Echoes 2 Homecoming with Rob Lowe. Uh, that's another conversation for another time. But uh, this film, whole new cast, bunch of Canadian actors again. Uh, I only recognize one of the actors, the one that played Dodd, played by David Cuban. He was in Tommy Boy. He was, yeah. he was the gas uh, station guy that David Spade was asking questions to. Get yourself a new map. So, yeah, this is a prequel, but this one is focused on the people who run the cube as well as the people inside it. So the first scene, I'm not going to really go over because I explained it in my top 10 deaths. It's the Raikin death where he gets sprayed and then his skin melts and all that. That was great. That was fucking it was a, awesome. It was a great death scene awesome death scene what a way to start off the film and then you're introduced to as you said dodd and eric queen no relation to mr queen from hey arnold eric queen yes uh, uh played by zachary bennett eric he's kind of um, he's he's a technician for this cube along with dodd he's more the brains and dodd's okay. just a guy that's just doing what's told he's basically a yes man yeah yeah, it, it starts off like Dodd's going to be a foil, but he's not really. He just wants to everyone to shut up and just do their job so that nobody gets hurt. But there was two other people that were with them. Uh, one was named Owen. I forget the other guy's name. Chickless. That just randomly disappeared. Never came back. And that's when uh, Quinn is trying to figure out, like, where is everybody? Like, like why are we doing this? And then that's when we're introduced to the people who are stuck in the cubes. Uh, you got uh, Cassandra Rains, who's a political 
uh, Zealot, I guess you can call her. And you got Robert P. Haskell, who's an ex-soldier trapped in a cube. Uh, you got Meyerhold. You got Jellico. And you got Bartak. So you got all... Uh, these characters are just as nameless and faceless, I guess with the exception of the political zealot. So they go through the same scenario. They're just trying to figure out like what the hell they're doing in there. She gets freaked out by uh, Haskell because he has the symbol on his head, the, the cube symbol. Because she remembers right before she passed out and ended up in that cube that somebody had that same tattoo on his forehead that was trying to capture her. So they're, yeah. thrown, yeah, they're thrown into this freaking cube. Same ordeal, same traps. I think Jellico gets uh, wrapped up in barbed wire and separated. Uh, whatchamacallit. Meyer hole. Which one is it? Uh, no. Jellico, I'm sorry. Jellico is the one that gets sprayed in the face with something and her face melts kind of similar to Ren. Uh, I think it was Meyerhold was the one that gets wrapped up in these wires and it just chops them up. Uh, Bartok, I think, is the one with the broken hand who gets scratched by the girl. And, um, and he gets the her skin virus she had. She passed it on to him. Yeah, and then he gets thrown into a room, and then he gets, uh, it's like a sound room that makes him explode. But uh, I'm just getting that out of the way, because more of the focus is on Dodd and Wynn. Like, Wynn is the one that's, like, raising questions about this whole ordeal. Like, this is a little bit much. And it's when he finds out that Reigns, something familiar about her, and that's when he sees that she's a political zealot, but also realizes that all these people that go into the cube have to consent to it they have to fill out a consent form but the fact is is that she doesn't have a consent form in her folder and that raises alarms with her but then they get a call on their phone saying that there's uh somebody in the cube that's about to leave and they find out it's owen one of their people and this is where it's revealed and i didn't really like this because in the first cube movie you don't really know what happens to Kazan. He just goes to the light and that's it. You can make do with whatever. Here they kind of reveal what happens, which is you're entrapped in chain and you're asked two questions. What is your name? In this case, Owen. And do you believe in God? And in this case, Owen said no. And then they fucking threw him in fire. Yeah, they, like, they turn like the incinerator. He's always like an, and the incinerator on. Yeah, they burn him up. And that's when friggin' Wynn says, well, what if they say yes? And Dodd says, no one's ever said yes. I find that hard to believe that they all said no. But suffice it to say, at some point, Quinn goes into the elevator and decides to go into the cube and rescue the remaining survivors, which would be uh, Haskell and Reigns. That triggers um, Jax, I think his name is. And two of his cronies to come in. Jax was a weird fucking character because he has this one uh, fake eye. He's got a cane and he's got a weird, dra like real spastic personality. Just the way he's like <laughs> the eye thing. I was like, what's up with the eye? It's so animated. He said he claims that the eye 
was caused by machinery going faulty. Because there's one point where he said to them that he doesn't trust machinery because of what happened to his eye. He wants to make sure that everybody's dead. Because now he had to find the, the, the mouse that got lost in the queue because he's up there because he got a signal saying that there's somebody in the queue. Because I, I forgot to mention this. Everybody's memory is erased when they go in the cube. They don't remember their names. They don't remember anything prior to the cube because that's part of the challenge. They can't remember anything. And these cubes have letters instead of numbers. So that's a different puzzle entirely. But besides that point, he realizes that somebody with full blown memory and already knowledge of the puzzle is in there and he has to try and stop him. But Dodd, who's a friend who felt like a leader to, to win, tries to protect him by uh, severing the wires. And this is when it's revealed that, because right before all that happens, when he finds Win with the two other people and he knows how the puzzle works, they melt all the, uh, the letters on the doors. So now they don't know where to go and decides to entrap all the rooms surrounding them. That's when Dodd decides to cut the wires and reset the whole entire thing. But now... Because the whole thing has been reset, they've got 10 minutes to leave. Otherwise, the rooms do a clean reset. That means even the people get completely eviscerated into dust. So it's at this point where they realize, uh, Wynn realizes that the thing has been reset. He now knows where to go. He did the math in his head. And as soon as they get the power back or whatever... They control Haskell's mind because he still has the chip inside and decides to have them attack them too. Make a long story short. Oh, yeah, Dodd. They found out that Dodd did the whole thing, screwed the whole thing up. And then that's when uh, Jack sprays a paralyzer. The paralyzer! Kung Pao onto him and cuts out this, this object that he needs to get the power back up because he swallowed it. So, again, make a long story short, they get to the end. Haskell is about to stop them. But the way to get through the door is it's underwater. So they get through and Haskell gets pushed into some sort of spike. And before you know it, Haskell is wiped away. So he's dead. So now it just leaves Reigns and um, and Win. They're running into a forest. And uh, Jax doesn't trust that they got eviscerated by the cube. So he sends a bunch of people out after them. They shoot a dart into Wynn, who's about to fall asleep, and he tells Reigns to just go. She goes, and now they have him entrapped. They're about to pick his brain apart or whatever. The last scene is her, Reigns with her daughter, saying that we can't go anywhere because they might find us. So it's like they're lost in a forest. And then the next thing you see is Wynn in the cube, and guess what he's doing? The same hand movement that Zek Kazan was doing, and he says the same exact dialogue. This room is green. I want to go to the blue room, giving the illusion that from the first movie, Kazan was once a worker from the cubes and defied their orders, so they fucked his brain up type of deal. Fucked his brain up and threw him in the cube. It's a good swerve, but a bad swerve at the same time. It's like, it's a very clever swerve. I'll give them that. It, it's weird. It's a clever swerve, 
but it's a swerve I did not need. If that makes sense. I thought it was a really well done swerve, but I did not need the swerve because I felt like Kazan fit better just being a naturally autistic individual that just happened to escape. But now it gives the illusion that Kazan was once a worker for this company that defied their orders, and now he's got a chip in his head. Blah 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 type of deal. Yeah. And Reigns, uh, we would assume she got away because they we never see her again after um, uh, Wynn is knocked out from the uh, tranquilizer gun. No, she is seen again. She's in the forest with her daughter. Oh, I'm thinking that was like a flashback scene from the first time no, she was in the forest with her daughter. Because they have the drawings uh, that, what's his face? Wynn. That uh, Wynn left him. Mm-hmm. And she shows it to her daughter and calls him a uh, hero. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so it shows that she did, at least for the momentary moment, escaped. So, I didn't hate this film. Yeah, I didn't hate this as well. It's an improvement over the second film. Honestly, I kind of wish the second film wasn't made at all. And they could have just went straight to this movie. Yeah. But at the same time, this movie couldn't have been made neither. And I would have been okay with the mystery of the first film. I mean, this and this film answers more questions to the first film than the second film did. But that's the answers thing. that we really didn't need. <laughs> it's like a lot of the things that they did weren't right, but I didn't need them. It's yeah. weird because again, the swerve at the end was great, but I didn't need it. That's I don't think that's ever happened before, where a swerve was very well done, but it it didn't leave me feel satisfied. Because I felt the first film, it's crazy because we're, we're such sticklers when it comes to lack of detail and why we should care about a certain thing of what, what's the purpose of this. But that first movie did such a great job in getting us to want them to keep it elusive. And here comes Cube Zero explaining all this stuff and giving us a nice little swerve at the end. And it's like, yeah, it's very well done, but at what cost? That's really the big, I guess, the big thing coming out of this is the ending, because besides that, not really much happens in this movie. I mean, we, yeah. we, we learn more behind the scenes of, you know, of the outside of the queue. But besides that, eh, for the most part, it's really not that interesting. Yeah. It's more interesting than Hypercube. Yeah. It, no quantum realm, no time travel. <laughs> It's the same shit from the first film where a room is trapped. But somehow they, they too came up with the idea of the boot. Throw it in a room, see how it works. That's a little weird. Yeah, I mean, then again, I guess it's supposed to be a pre Yeah, that is kind of weird. Even though it's a prequel. But again, like I said, like how much more can you really do with the concept of the cube? I, I felt like the first film did the best that you could get with that concept. Yeah, and it I mean the second one, I give it credit. Try to do something different, but the, it was just it was just too confusing. And this one here, it just gave too much away. Yeah, I mean they went back to the first film trying to make it more like that one, but but you can't make this, the same movie again. It, it's just again. Yes, I do want to have a little bit more answers as to why I should care about something, but. 
Cube actually established that I don't need that for that particular story, and you gave it to me anyways when I didn't need it. It's weird. It's just very weird. But I will say I did not hate this film. I, I would personally give it a thumbs in the middle. But it's it just wasn't needed. Not, the other two were not needed films. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't hate this movie as well. Probably thumbs in the middle, but I still wouldn't recommend it. Oh, no, no. I wouldn't recommend it either. It's still it's still watchable. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's terrible. Yeah. But compared to the first one, this, again, both sequels were just unnecessary. It was just... Also, it felt more like just cash grabs on the name or whatever cult following that the first film had. Well, let's let's get that cult audience to come back again, two more times. I think somebody said it best. That first movie could really benefit into becoming a video game. Could you okay. imagine? That'd be interesting. Making that into a game where you have to figure out where the traps are. Yeah. There is one more Cube movie out there. It was remade last year in Japan. Uh, from the score, it actually has the lowest score of all the Cube movies. Sheesh. That's, that's crazy. That is crazy. I mean, god damn, what the hell did they... They must have really screwed it up over there. You're just remaking the original film. <laughs> what the hell did the people do? And, and here's the crazy part. I think we mentioned this. Like, usually it's us remaking Japan movies. It's never the other way around. No. That's and crazy. Especially Japan remaking Canadian films. <sighs> I don't know. That's, I don't that's know. A in itself. So, um, overall, with the Q franchise, I say just stick with the first one. Stick with that 97 cult classic. Yeah. I would not watch the other two, but if more of a curiosity gets the better of you, they're not terrible. But they offered nothing to really boost up that first film. This is not definitely not Godfather Part Two, where it boosts up the first film and then adds its own flavor. Yeah, they try to do something different with the cube concept, but it, it in the end it just didn't work. Nah, not at all. So yeah, just stick with the first movie and then uh, skip the other two. But if you really want to check out those other two, if you have like three hours to kill on a day I guess it wouldn't hurt yeah have fun yeah so any final thoughts on the Q movies uh, like I said the first movie was absolutely fantastic and the rest of them eh not horrible Just not needed not horrible, not neat. I think that's a good way to describe the other two movies. But yeah, I think that's going to do it for episode 99. We went over the two-hour mark with this episode. Probably definitely one of our longest ones. Yeah, next to the one we do with Alex. Yeah. Alex that's... tends to talk very slow, so that also helps. <laughs> we love you, Alex. Yes. Well, this was uh, recorded August 7th, 2022. For Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. Uh, we're about to hit the big 100. Yeah, we have a 100 episode coming up next. And we will oh. go through our um, top... We'll, we'll have a special list for you guys. Woot woot. Woot woot. We'll see you guys 
on the big one zero zero.